Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Redeemed Hearts podcast, where we encourage you to allow God to transform you mentally, emotionally, and relationally by living from your redeemed heart. Your hosts, Worley and Danina Kennedy, are licensed professional counselors and are the founders of Redeemed Hearts Ministries. We want to wish you all a happy new year and thank those of you who joined us in our first year of the podcast in 2020. Today, Worley and Danina are excited to help us start our year off by being better communicators as they talk about four communication patterns that can quickly turn communication into an ongoing conflict. If you're interested in more on the topic of communication from Worley and Danina, check out the video series for small group and personal use on effective communication at redeemedheartsministries.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here's Worley and Danina. Welcome back after the holiday season. We are happy to be here and hope you have had a good Christmas. I would imagine you're like uh, we are and really looking forward to a new year. Yeah. Happy New Year, too. 2021, hoping it will be better than 2020. As we start off the new year with our podcast, one of the things that we want to talk about is uh, communication and really communication even in conflict and, you know, maybe trying to help all of us become better communicators as we start this year off. And in order to do that, we want to look at four negative communication patterns that uh, we all often use in conflict and communication that can very quickly derail any positive outcome. I mean, it's easy to start having a conversation, and a lot of research will show that how we start the conversation um, in the first three seconds actually can determine how that communication is even going to go. And one of the things that I think that keeps us from having good communication is that we'll often avoid talking about certain things. Mm -hmm. And so these things that we're going to talk about can help us so that we don't have to avoid talking about certain things. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, um, communication is a flow of information between people and it, it occurs at you know, at um, shallow levels as well as very intimate levels. Mm -hmm. But when that stops and it's no longer occurring, it's for one of the things that we're going to be talking about here. And so we want to give some things here that you're going to share more about here in just a second, but that can help that flow of information between people Mm -hmm. that keeps us connected, Mm -hmm. um, helps us, encourages us, challenges us, when we're involved with other people. so And so many people have pain of feeling mm. disconnected and even more so after COVID and, yeah. you know, 2020 and all the social distancing yeah. is, I mean, we've got to step back into, you know, life in 2021 here in a new way. I hope we're, we're, we're working to communicate um, with people and be connected again and, uh, I was thinking for myself, I, I don't, I used to just call my friends and talk for 30 minutes or an hour on the phone. And now I text them or think I need to, you know, meet with them in person. And when meeting in person is gone, I, I don't even often think about just calling and having a conversation where in my twenties as a young mom, I was on the phone all the time. It was my lifeline with my children at home. Yeah, and we would contend, Danina, that that's part of what is added to 
people's anxiety and people's mm-hmm. depression and certainly the loneliness that occurs. And so the communication, the flow of information that, that creates this connectedness is very important. And so I think those are going to be helpful things. Mm-hmm. So we're going to really look at four um, primary things here um, being uh, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And if you're familiar with Dr. John Gottman, you'll know that he he goes um, to the extreme here, really, of calling these the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which as Christians or believers, we know, I mean, that term really comes from the book of Revelation in um, the last days. But he, he will call them that, the four horsemen of apocalypse. And while we can all identify with, I think, using criticism, defensiveness, contempt, or stonewalling as defense mechanisms or as kind of communication patterns, we don't have to be characterized by these things. And if we do become characterized by them, our relationships are going to suffer and sometimes even end, sometimes die if it's a habitual ongoing pattern. So as you're you're listening, you're thinking about relationships that you have, the people you're in relationship with. And in some of these cases, it might be somebody you haven't had a conversation with in a while, or maybe not at all. Mm-hmm. And so we want you to be thinking about the relationships with the people that are in your life and how these things apply. And think about where you find yourself in these and then also think about maybe if you're you're shut down toward another person maybe you know one of these is going on in that other person and uh that's something you're going to need to address so the first one we're going to look at here is criticism and one thing we want to make sure that you recognize about criticism is while constructive criticism is often an important tool for growth you know i mean criticism can be good i yeah. need it um for me to improve or to grow, you know, as a person or and your a pers- wife and your or personality, a there's this interesting, your personality trait actually likes it and thrives on good constructive criticism because you want to grow and you want to things get, see things get better. And so, yes, cr- criticism in and of itself can be a good thing, mm-hmm. but... If it becomes constant criticism, it'll shut down a heart and it'll prevent healthy communication and really put a stop to any problem solving in that relationship. And so the difference is unhealthy criticism is is criticism that's attacking the character of another person rather than addressing the specific problem or behavior. It's, It's when we focus on another's weaknesses without also placing value on their strengths. If we do that over and over again, just focused on those weak things, it's going to erode the best of relationships. And when you're in a relationship like that, you recognize that there's not any grace in that relationship. And I always say grace is the space that's left there for healing. It's, you know, it's that space that God gives us ultimately because of his work on the cross gives us with him and and we need to be able to give that to others. It's that time and space for people to grow and change and healing to come. So would it be fair to say we assume as believers that you're going to practice grace? You've been given it, mm-hmm. you receive it from others, you give it to others. Mm-hmm. Okay. So even if you give some, you know, constructive 
critical feedback, I'm going to, I'm going to give grace to Mm -hmm. that person. That's that process that has to happen. I mean, none of us just get it and, you know, change Mm -hmm. immediately. Mm -hmm. So there's that heart of that in that. Harmful criticism is often really in the delivery of it. Um, You know, how it's said, it's in the timing, you know, of the critiquing. I can think of times where what I said to you was probably true, but the timing of when I said it, like you were already, you were beating yourself up already. Um, So why am I saying that to you right now? So the that harmful criticism can come in the timing of critiquing. You know, it can come in correcting, nitpicking, fixing through harsh, condescending, and controlling, you know, comments. And so I think here, while some criticize others in order to not look at themselves, I'm going to take the focus off me. So I'm going to be hyper-focused on you and what you're doing wrong. So I don't have to think about me. Many people who are highly critical of others are people that are the most critical of themselves. And um, it's, you know, it's often also, I think a critical spirit's often also driven by a lot of fear inside or, you know, a lot of ongoing pain that is unaddressed. And so that pain's coming out in a critical spirit. One of the verses that I think of that I would say um, to women there is from Proverbs 27, 15 and 16, where God's word is saying, don't be characterized by a critical spirit. It says a nagging wife is like a dripping or um, of a leaking roof in a rainstorm. Stopping her is like trying to stop the wind. It's like trying to grab olive oil with your hand. Don't you hate that verse? Yes, I do. That's pretty descriptive. (laughs) And most women hate that Mm -hmm. and even try not to be that. And part of it is husbands constantly because they aren't even able to take, some husbands aren't able to take constructive constructive criticism, criticism, put it back on their wife as you're nagging, you're nagging, you're nagging when, you know, the wife is actually fighting for the marriage and fighting for the relationship. Um, But it, it can turn into when we're saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Where we're not heard yes, at so, all. Yes. So criticism being this thing that can can really harm communication um, if it's not constructive, and then if it's not constructive and it's harmful, it becomes this drip, drip, drip. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just this verse is directed toward women, but no, we. I no. mean, we know and see this all the time. I mean, some men are very driven and perfectionistic and have very high standards and are, you know, incredibly, um, you know, constantly critical um, with very little grace given, you know, like we're talking about toward their, toward their wife. So So. Paul gives us an exhortation in Ephesians 4 to combat this. And, And he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Mm -hmm. Constructive criticism is an important tool for personal relational growth uh, and then communicating needs and correction. We are saying it's a part of everyday life. Um, The question becomes, what are we characterized by? And 
So some of, I mean, let's just give you some practical things uh, to be able to combat this. And um, the first one would really be um, learning how to express your feelings and your specific need here. Um, we've, We've talked about how sometimes we'll be critical about somebody or towards somebody or you know, very generally, but it's, it's learning, um, you know, to be somebody that still can express how you're feeling, express what that need is, um, you know, to the other person. Yeah. And I think, and being on the receiving end, if you're trying to express something to me, I mean, I need to settle in and listen to you and what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, even if I'm not, I still want you to express your feelings and needs. And then um, the, the next one is, is, is you're expressing that you are willing to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important thing. And, and we're, we're going to keep fleshing some of this out, but the third one is, um, I mean, when we're communicating, stay on the current topic. I mean, I, you know, not, not be come too historical unless it's absolutely needed for the context. And sometimes it is needed. And, th- and this is where, where you can be in a, you know, a discussion and you're trying to express something. Let's say you're trying to express it to me and I'm not getting and understanding what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to explain it. So you, pull in a little bit of history mm-hmm. and then you and make, then you get upset because you say i thought we were already past that right and it happens all the time right <clears throat> between husbands and wives all and it time. usually goes this direction yes the husband's like why in the world is she talking about what happened three years ago exactly yeah. right right but so one of the ways to to give criticism that's constructive would be to stay on the current topic and don't go into all the histories. And I know that you'll do that because you don't think I'm understanding. And it, Which I I'm have defensive. learned, but I've learned over the years. Yes. And it, I mean, sometimes it is. The next thing we're going to talk about is defensiveness. Sometimes it's your defensive. Um, but sometimes it's also, I have learned over the years to say, you know, I'm saying this, whether it's to you or the kids, because I, I don't feel heard or understood. Right. And instead of just going on and on and on with that, sometimes I'll say that just in the beginning versus just keep bringing all of that up. And I owe it to you as the other person to say back to you, look, I got it. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're trying to say and even say Repeat it back, back to, you to me. Yeah. So that so. you know that I understand what you're saying, because I think that's how these discussions get into and the husband's over there thinking, man, why won't she get over that? Why won't she get past that? Well, it's not that she's not, it's she's trying to explain more oftentimes than not. Now, sometimes well, and it has to do with either a pattern of in the relationship hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's historical because I'm trying to say the same thing's happening now that happened back then that mm-hmm. happened back then. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's maybe just saying, I'm still trying to resolve this same thing. And sometimes it's in me. Maybe it's just something I... Am still needing to process or work through, mm-hmm. and you help me do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not—it's not even about you, but um, you have to, I think, recognize that in order to help me. So let's let's just because we're 
elaborating a little bit here, but you want to express your feelings and your specific need. You want to be a part of the solution when possible as you're expressing it. You're not just putting it off on the other person saying, if you would just change and do this and this, we'd be all right. You want to stay on the current topic, not becoming historical unless absolutely needed for context. And then there's a fourth one. And this is where you want to use I statements and not you statements. And um, you could, I mean, give us an example of that. So an I statement would be, I feel disconnected in our relationship right now. I wondered if we could go on a date this weekend to have some time together. I mean, mm-hmm. I say that to you. <laughs> Hardly ever. <laughs> every, every few days. Yes, exactly. Honey, I feel disconnected. <laughs> and can we just go on a date? Rather than saying, you it, never have any time for us. You never choose our marriage and put the other person immediately on the defensive. And so. you never have said that. You always <laughs> say the I way. Exactly. Using words like never, always. Those are really poor choices for words um, in communication. And then I, you, you, say, you say these things to me and I throw the loser sign up on my forehead and say, <laughs> I'm a loser, I'm a loser, I'm a loser. Okay. Another example I would say is to use an I statement is I've had an overwhelming week at work and I'm mentally worn out. Can we talk about this issue this weekend after I've had a little time to kind of mentally, physically rest? Um, I'm concerned if we talk about it right now, it won't go well. And that's great. And this is a really important thing we, we see happen a lot. Yes. Is people try to work through conflict or you know, maybe there's some criticism some that, that the conversation breaks down because you're you're trying to resolve it right then. At the wrong time. And, you're doing the right thing, but at the wrong time. And so to say, but to, to say the I statements there rather than why do you always have to be on my case or need to talk about things? You're so needy and dramatic. Um again, that's not gonna go well. No. You 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 want to turn it on yourself rather than and take ownership for your part in this rather than put the other person on defensive. And I do think if you say that, like, I can't talk right now, it's not good. I'm too tired. Can we talk tomorrow or can we talk this weekend? I would say to you, make sure you do that because if you don't, then you're going to break trust in your relationship um, because you're not talking when you need to. And um, very, you know, very quickly then, they're not going to trust you the next time that you say that. So basically, we want to be conscientious of giving positive feedback also, um, as well as correction. And I I think for parents, especially with kids and teenagers, uh, in our counseling practice, we often hear kids and teens tell us that they expect their parents to tell them what they need to work on, what they're, you know, what they're doing wrong, um, what they're, you know, expecting them to do that would be right. Uh, but so they're not upset about that because they, they kind of, ex- kids expect that from a parent to a child. But um, they will often say, I, but my parent doesn't ever tell me when I, you know, do it right. Like they're on my case to get this kind of grade at school. But when I get that grade at school, they're not, they don't say awesome job or, you know, give that positive feedback as well. So it's important that as we're giving constructive um, criticism, we're also 
focusing on strengths and positive things. And it's really popular right now in the workplace to use the what they call the five to one ratio for every one negative or critical interaction we have um, the, in the work world, they're supposed to give five encouraging and positive interactions. So overall, be aware of giving positive feedback, not just constructive and criticism. Can I make a comment on that? Because some people will say, well, you're just being fake. You're just making up stuff because you are going to, you know, positive stuff because you really want to say the, you know, the, the critical stuff. Um, I, I think there's always something positive that can be said. Mm-hmm. And you've really grown in this um, with me, I think, from early years where you probably would have just been more critical. Um, and, and because you need me, it for certain things. I have many people in my life that need me mm-hmm. and, and that's as it, as it is and should be, but, but you need me for certain things. Then instead of just being critical about certain things that I'm not doing, you, you just acknowledge the things that, that are going on. You know, Worley, I know you're busy or I know you're tired or I know that Things are difficult in this area. I mean, it's almost like you take a little bit of time for me, settle into what's going on with me, and then with that, communicate whatever the critical thing might be. So it's, you don't fake it. You just, you have to settle into it to what's true. Mm -hmm. So I just offer that comment. Mm -hmm. And it's important. I think what's helped me is to address the underlying issues in my heart Mm -hmm. before I even get to that conversation. And because a critical spirit can take over in a person and and become a way of life before we even know it. And sometimes the critical spirit is driven by perfectionism or, you know, I'm a type one wing two on the Enneagram. So I'm always thinking about how can I improve things? And because I'm a two, it's it's really focused on relationships, Mm -hmm. which is good. I'm in the profession I'm in, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it, it. It can put me in a place where I'm always thinking about how can I be better? How can you be better? How can our relationship be better with my friends? How can, you know, and sometimes I need to just enjoy where we're at in in all of that. And I think that's some of the growth on, you know, my part over the years. It can come from fear of rejection, um, fear of failure or loss. And in many cases, an overly critical spirit is tied to a lot of unresolved pain that just you know, there's not, they haven't been able to find healing there. And so it's turned into bitterness and it can come out in, in that pattern. So in these cases, it's not going to be enough to just change your words and your behavior. I know this. Um, It might start there where I'm saying, I'm, I'm looking at my child and making sure, you know, I'm saying constructive, positive things to them that I see in them. Because I'm you, my personality might be always looking for areas of growth. So I might have to make, you know, be making a choice to do that. But, you know, I've got to address the issues in my heart that make me not even think about doing that. That's what yeah. I'm saying. You know, so, and that's from Matthew 12 34, where it says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah, so, this last point is part of that you've said here looking at the heart is, is, is expect that as you deal with being critical and trying to, you know, change this and that God is always working on our hearts Mm -hmm. and wants us to be able to turn from the things that might cause it. 
And so don't be afraid of that. And this is one of the things I respect in you a lot. And you've done this more and more as the years go. Is I mean, it's the attitude of search me, oh God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there be any hurtful way in me mm-hmm. and lead me in your way. Um, it requires this to do this as well. And then I would say for the person who's on the other side of it, um, or, you know, in our case, your spouse, your close friend, somebody's walking with you, you offer a lot of grace towards them as they do, you know, work on this because it's not easy work. No. And some of you may need to step up and give constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in our marriage, that's something we've talked about Mm -hmm. because you might want to keep peace and you know, just not have conflict. And sometimes I, I mean, I've needed you to have the courage to step in. Into your, quote, critical spirit so that you can deal with some of the things you need to deal with. Right. Instead of me just trying to shut it down. Right. Which only can make it worse over time. So... So criticism, and then the next one um, is defensiveness. Defensiveness is defined as self-protection in the face of a perceived attack. So that visual makes complete sense to us. It's self-protection in the face of a perceived attack. When we quickly become defensive, we usually quickly assume the other person is not for us, put up a wall, flip their statement back around on them, and deny or discredit their concern. When this occurs, the conversation either explodes or ends and the relationship slowly erodes. So this defensiveness is a really important thing to look at. Mm -hmm. It creates separation due to a closed-off temperament and atmosphere. And the opposite would be to create an atmosphere of openness that fosters communication and connection. Growth, healing, and productivity are not possible when there is a posture of defensiveness killing the relationship from the inside out. Mm. We've all been defensive. We all struggle with this. I think we probably know when we're doing it, or we should be more and more aware of when we do it. Um, and this is to use the term of Gottman. Gottman, the horseman is almost always present when relationships are on the rocks or we feel unjustly accused, that we fish for excuses so our partner would just back off. Um, But defensive is really a way of blaming our partner, saying, in effect, this isn't my problem, it's your problem. Mm -hmm. And it quickly derails the communication and hope um, that comes with that. So some of the underlying issues to address is, is maybe process, why are you feeling threatened? I mean, sometimes some of you are probably in relationships uh, that are truly dangerous Mm. and you need to uh, evaluate, is there true danger that you need to protect yourself from? And then uh, really get the help and develop a plan for how can you separate yourself from that danger? Many times defensiveness is more just tied to the underlying issue of pride or fear. That keeps us from hearing what could be constructive criticism. 
um, that would move, you know, move us toward personal growth. So you're identifying the danger. I mean, is it a real danger? If, if it is a real danger, I mean, what do you need to do about that? And then secondly, you know, really looking at the underlying issue of pride and fear. There's a, a man that I really like some of what he says, Dr. Um, Gavin Ortland. He says, it seems to me that we tend to respond to um, accurate criticism in one of two ways, repentance or defensiveness. These two reactions are as different as heaven and hell. And so he says a defensive heart says, but look what I did right. That's a diversion. And a repentant heart says, here specifically is what I did wrong, being honest. Mm -hmm. A defensive heart says, but look at what you, what was done to me. That's a distraction. A repentant heart says, here is how I contributed to the conflict. That's taking ownership. And then a defensive heart will say, it wasn't that bad. That's downplaying it. But a repentant heart says, it was a big deal. And you know, anytime somebody comes to you with a hurt or a complaint or a criticism, take it as a big deal. It's a big deal to them. It may not be that big deal in the scheme of things, but it is to them. And so how you respond to that um, is going to make all the difference. And this is where the gospel comes in here. Um, I, th I think that's important. And you want to share those? Yeah, the gospel takes away the fear that drives defensiveness. It frees us to openly admit our shortcomings. Because of the gospel, I can hear anything you have to tell mm -hmm. me. That's I can... changed my life when somebody comes to me. And I, I mean, I still can have pride come up or fear and become defensive, but it has changed so much to just let the gospel be on the forefront. Yeah, and the gospel says in the place of your deepest failure and shame, you're loved most tenderly. Mm -hmm. It says your deepest fears were already born by your Savior. I think the gospel also, you know, allows you to look at the other person who in, in your life who you know loves you and, and believe that what they're trying to say to you, whether they say it well or not, um, is, is something, you know, for your good, you can, you can learn from, you can grow from, but it's because of Christ that I can do that. Mm -hmm. The gospel says, your sins were exposed and dealt with at the cross. The battle is already over. A man free to be that non-defensive is the happiest and most indestructible man in the world. He has died to himself. His identity comes from something or someone else. He's fearless. This is what the gospel does for us. And then I like how he says this. He says, um, uh, in the court of heaven, which matters infinitely more than the human court, we've already been tried and through Christ, we've already been acquitted. So I, I can hear what somebody else has to say. I can even see that, I mean, I can see my failure. I can see the sin in my life because Christ already paid the price and died on the cross for that. So I don't have to make up for it. I don't have to convince myself or others I'm better than I am. I can hear it. And that, um, what kind of, you know, defensive stance we take in communication can, I mean, stop or start the conversation right there. So, so we're addressing issues that affect our communication, which affects our connection. And we've talked about um, criticism that's unhealthy, 
and we've talked about defensiveness, and now we want to talk about contempt. And contempt is a relationship killer because it is full of blame, and and it's usually fueled by this long-term simmering negative thoughts and emotions, you know, internally about another person. And um, Dr. John Gottman, is, he has found that it's the most destructive and the number one predictor of divorce in wow. four years of, de- of his research. Wow. Um, four decades. Four decades, yes, sorry. Um, so contempt, he's saying contempt, this issue of blame fueled by long simmering negative emotions and thoughts about another person is the most destructive thing he's found in his four over decades. Over four decades of research um at number one predictor of divorce divorce. yeah yeah and so let's talk about contempt here because sometimes that's this is a hard can be it's not it's not something we use all the time right you and i think about it right because we counsel so criticism people yeah i know what that is um defensiveness Mm -hmm. yeah contempt is a little more unfamiliar so Mm -hmm. we're gonna and there's two kinds of contempt that I think it's important to address because Dr. John Gottman, he really just looks at the other contempt, but we want to talk about um, the self-contempt as well that can come into play here. So if you have other contempt, it's basically where you position yourself in your mind and in your heart as you're better than or above others. And this often um, results in um Leaving them, I don't know. I'm trying to find my pages got out of order. Sorry, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> um, uh, often with the other contempt, it it's going to result in um, kind of seeing yourself above the other person in name calling, in condescending remarks, and nonverbal cues. Um, you know, basically where I'm just putting myself in a position to say, you're worthless, you're ridiculous, um, I'm disgusted with you. Uh, it can come with eye rolling and sneering and s- sarcasm and, you know, kind of off-color humor. I mean, other contempt is rude. And uh, Dr. John Gottman would say, I mean, this is where the meanness in a relationship comes out. Um, I think other contempt um, is full of pride. And I mean, if I'm living with contempt toward you, I'm always going to say, you know, Worley, if you would just get your act together, we'd be just fine. I mean, I'm going it, to, it's not, it's not just putting the blame on you, but it, um, I'm You're looking down on, yeah, you. I'm looking down on you. I've got it all together here. And if you would just, you know, get it together, no humility here. And so it's, it's really seeping with a lot of pride and a lot of resentment. But I, I think it's important to also talk about other contempt or self-contempt, which is also full of pride because in self-contempt, we're only thinking about ourselves. also. Right. Only in self-contempt, I'm saying I'm a loser. You know, everything they're saying about me is right. I'm the one calling myself an idiot. I'm the one calling myself the failure. I'm the one calling myself. And it's not helpful. No. And this is where it's very subtle because it, it could almost come across as feeling very kind of pious and humble, like, you know, she's right. I'm the loser. 
I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. I made all, you know, I'm the reason. And it's It's very shame driven. Yes, it's very shame driven. Mm -hmm. And yet it it takes the focus of what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help the other person because they may not even, you know, be saying you're they're not saying you're the problem. They're saying there is a problem. And we need to deal with the problem. So self-contempt is never helpful and it avoids dealing with the real problem. And mm. you're right, it takes, it puts the focus on self. And some people take a lot of, you know, f- find some un- unhealthy enjoyment in being the problem. And it's all me. And and yet there's never any serious repentance towards. Um, taking ownership for what you've done, mm-hmm. letting the other person take ownership for what they've done, turning toward the Lord in humility, confessing sin, and letting God, you know, change, change you, change the other person in, in the process. But they're both equally important. And so mm-hmm. contempt is this looking down upon in other sentences contempt you're looking down upon the other person and And when it's this ongoing seeping over time what happens is the reason you know it goes from it it starts with the critical spirit in many cases but contempt is taking that deeper and deeper where there is either becomes a you know a a disgust a hatred toward the other person or disgust and a self-hatred and both get in the way yeah. of just saying, you know, God, show me what my part is. Right. I can only change or fix or control me and my part. And I can live with that humility, not get defensive, live with that humility to see, you know, what it is in me um, and and have an, at, an accurate view of self. That's the thing here, which is what humility is. It's seeing God accurately and seeing myself accurately. And so the one with self-contempt, who's hating themselves all the time, they're not seeing themselves accurately as God sees them. And neither is the one with other contempt, who's thinking, I've got it all together. What's everybody else's problem? They're not seeing themselves accurately either. And so humility really is the answer here. And then, you know, what love would look like. And contempt is one of those things that it people will often be go back and forth. I mean, you'll see someone who has a lot of um, other centered contempt, mm-hmm. and as sure as that's brought to their attention, then pride might cause them to go to self contempt mm-hmm. instead of just admitting, "Yes, I did this. Yes, I'm <clears throat> I'm that way towards you. Um, I need God." I need help. And and the good news is he's already paid the price. So I don't I don't have to spend and expend all this time and energy atoning for my own sin, beating myself up, trying to improve myself. It's I, one of the I things mean, the that truth will set us free. The gospel in the middle of it is one of the essential things for our marriage because if you and I did not have Christ who paid the price for our sins. Mm-hmm your sins and my sins, we would go back and forth in a vicious battle 
of, you know, other-centered contempt and self-contempt. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've lived it. Mm-hmm. And you more prone to other-centered contempt, but you can shift and go to self. Mm-hmm. I'm more prone to self-contempt, but get a little rage in me and I'm going to dish it right at you. Yes, you are. And have other-centered contempt. Mm-hmm. And neither one of those things is constructive. Mm-hmm. It's only the gospel. Someone else who who is who he who knew no sin became sin for us, became the righteousness of God for us. We look to him in the middle of it. So what do we do with all this? Well, God's word tells us in Ephesians 4:15, we're to speak the truth in love. So I mean, we can be truthful, but to do it, you know, in love. And I I think here healthy relationships are going to communicate that truth. Uh, but there's going to be humility and there's going to be love in that. And I'm going to communicate in a way that's going to place the same value on you that Jesus Christ placed on you when he died on the cross for you. Um, If I talk to you and you go to this self-contempt, I need you to place the same value on you. It does us no good that Jesus Christ placed upon you the day he died on the cross for your sins. And John 15 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Then he lay his life down for his friends and combating um, contempt is uh, there's, I'm going to die to myself, whether it's other contempt or self contempt, there's a whole lot of I in that me, me, me. And um, we, we have to die to ourselves. So our last one here that we want to talk about is stonewalling. And um, this is an important one. Stonewalling is also not something we often, a term we maybe use. Uh, we might say they shut down on me or they go dark on me or they ghost me is, you know, today's language, but it's when um, one person shuts down and disengages from the process of communicating and problem solving. Um, Avoiding giving the silent treatment, looking at an electronic device rather than the person or walking away um, could be ways of putting up a stone wall. And uh, sometimes we'll call this turtling up or I'll, you know, I'll say to people, you're, you're, you seem to go, you know, be like a turtle going in your, in your shell, um, you know, for whatever reason. And that's, that's a way that, um, you know, we shut others out. And sometimes people stonewall because they don't feel safe. So they, they feel like they need to go in that shell and protect themselves. And like I said, sometimes there are abusive relationships where that's true. I want you to think it, you know, about this even just in a more healthy relationship, though, um, if you find yourself just going in your shell all the time um, because maybe you want to keep peace at all costs, maybe you don't like conflict, um, maybe it's uh, because you feel like, well, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do, nothing's going to change or they're not going to hear you or um, they're going to turn it all back on you. um, Maybe... uh, you know, it's because you try and talk and you just don't ever feel understood. So you go in your shell. And then sometimes, I mean, at the very, very unhealthy level of stonewalling is people will do this to make their spouse hurt or suffer. I mean, I'm going to give you the silent treatment because that's your punishment. And, um, and so, 
So, so it's fair to say stonewalling is basically um, shutting the other person out in numerous ways that you've mentioned. It's all about you. you. It's all about yourself. And um, it, it, it's a serious issue. Mm-hmm. It's something that we need to pay attention to. So what do we do? We take a time out. It's important to take a time out because the pursuer and communication will often power up and push more when the stonewaller is pulling away and only making things worse. So, so you, it's okay to take a pause, take a time out, give some time. That That's a very loving thing um, to do. Mm-hmm. And then because stonewalling in most cases is about protecting oneself, um, I think it's important that the stonewaller recognizes that they're not often thinking about, they're just thinking about protecting them. So they're mm-hmm. not often thinking about the impact they're having on their spouse or their friend or a coworker. And um, so if you're a stonewaller, I would say you you must understand that when you shut down and you pull away into your shell, you turtle up, it feeds insecurity, anxiety, and anger in the other person. And it can leave them feeling just very frustrated and um, I, I think helpless. I mean, they, they feel like there's, there's no way to fix what's going on here. So when you're, when you're having that time out, um, be aware that that person, you know, you're saying, I need to time, I need to think about this, I need to process. So the other person needs to give you time. It's very important that, you know, we'll value that and respect that another person. But we always tell people, you come back to that. I mean, if you can come back in a few hours, that's better. But within 12 to 24 hours, you need to come back and communicate about that. That's going to be the loving thing to do. Right. So taking a time out is is to be intentional in dealing with all of these emotions and all of these things that will cause you to stonewall and to be deliberate with the other person. And the other person should grant that. The other person will be a lot more willing to grant the time out and won't and be in, and shouldn't be infuriated or upset by it. Where the stonewalling is evasive, it's rude, it's not being intentional. And so it really needs to be addressed. It can be very frustrating. The problem that sometimes occurs though is the stonewall the stonewaller will justify it, you know, and, and say, it's because I need time or whatever. Okay. We'll be, then you need to communicate. Hey, I just need some time. We'll talk in an hour. We'll talk in 12 hours. We'll talk in a couple of days, mm-hmm. whatever you need to say. Better you do that than just look at your phone. Better than you do that than you give the silent treatment. Avoid and shut down. And, the, and this is the part, I don't know if I said that very clearly before, but couples get in cycles here. Yep. Because as that person pulls away, usually the other person that's more the pursuer Mm -hmm. in the relationship, they power up Mm -hmm. and they start pushing, pushing, pushing more because they have anxiety Mm -hmm. or, you know, insecurity or frustration Mm -hmm. over um, not knowing what that other person's thinking and how they're feeling. And, you know, are we going to be able to resolve this issue? And so stonewalling is not loving. 
Right. I mean, it can cause the other person to look really, really bad because then they start going off and so forth when in fact they're re- responding to your stonewalling. Mm-hmm. So the stonewalling is just as bad, just as lethal. Why don't you tell us a little bit of the underlying causes in a stonewaller for not feeling safe? Well, and sometimes it requires a third party to help you actually, you know, work through this. But if, I mean, if you're a stonewaller, I would say, you know, figure out what it is that you need in order to feel safe. Spend the time thinking about it. Write a list. What do I need to feel safe? Why don't I feel safe here? Think about how much of this has to do with my past. And maybe my spouse that's in my present is just triggering that. Yeah. Maybe it has nothing to do with my spouse. Yeah. I mean, but figure figure that out because um, it, it's very hard to move forward in a relationship and have good communication without knowing why you're stonewalling, where it's coming from, and then address address that you know heart issue. And then I would say, um, if you're the spouse of a stonewaller, uh, it's very important that you practice the things we've already talked about. You don't get defensive. You don't be full of you know. Um, diverting the blame with criticism or, you know, uh, the contempt because the stonewaller needs to feel safe enough with you to tell you what they need. And, you know, you may need to change some things in you for them to feel safe. Um, so, so we're going to encourage stop stonewalling as a way to hurt or punish others. Address what's underlying, whether it's pain or resentment or bitterness. Be willing to forgive. Learn to address the problem so that communication can occur. I think Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 covers both the stonewaller who avoids and the, you know, the attacker or pursuer in conflict and communication. It says in verse 1 of Proverbs 18, there is one who isolates himself and seeks only his own desires. He rejects all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in disclosing what is on his mind. Mm -hmm. Both sides of that. Yes. That's good. So in closing today, we briefly touched on these four negative communication patterns that, I mean, they incur in all of our relationships, all of our marriages. um, And, but these four things of criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling are something that can really derail the healing and uh, the growth in our relationships. And um, we're glad that you could join us today. We're going to, um, I mean, for January, we just wanting to focus on communication and um, we'll go from here in our next podcast, a little bit more on communication. Thank you. Thank you again for joining Worley and Danina today on the Redeemed Hearts podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are looking for more content from Worley and Danina, we encourage you to visit redeemedheartsministries.com. Again, if you would like more content on the subject of communication, Worley and Danina have their four-part video series entitled Effective Communication available for sale on the website. These videos are available for download or streaming through a private Vimeo link that will be sent out upon purchase. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And please share this episode on social media with your friends. Please feel free to reach out and contact us through the website. God bless.